Have you ever started something that you didn't finish? Well, that's what Ellen MacArthur faced. As you may know, she had set herself a huge challenge. On her own, this 28-year-old from Derbyshire, which is the furthest point in the UK from the sea, is amazing, is attempting to smash the record for sailing around the world. Now, the world record currently stands at 72 days and 22 hours. And it was going to be an incredible journey. She left England's Lizard Point on the 28th November last year. Next, she would head down the Bay of Biscay, then onto the doldrums, either side of the equator, then round Cape of Good Hope in South Africa, then round Cape Leeuwin in Australia, then round Cape Horn in South America, and then finally she would arrive back to the shores of Great Britain. And it sounds exhausting. And it's an itinerary of 26,000 miles. And to keep her going, she'd taken with her a few snacks. Along with three dried meals, she took 72 muesli bars, 24 tubes of Weatherers toffees, and 60 bars of chocolate. In all, she eats 5,000 calories a day. And apparently, that is equivalent to 17 Mars bars, or three large 12-inch pizzas at Pizza Hut every day. It sounds wonderful. <laughs> but just before Christmas, she was caught in a huge storm, and she felt like calling it quits. Somewhere in the Southern Ocean, her boat was being hit by 50-foot waves and 55-knot winds. I thought I was going to have to pull out, Ellen said. But she didn't. She refused to give up. Why? Because she wanted to finish what she started. And today, she is still on track for beating the current world record. 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter from prison to a church in Philippi. And Philippi was a Roman colony and an important city in Macedonia. And you can see Philippi at the top of the map. Now, at the beginning of this letter, Paul wants the Christians there to know, and also for us to know, an unchanging truth about God. From first to last, God will finish what he starts. We can look at our lives, and sometimes we can get a bit discouraged, can't we? For example... C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, and he describes Satan's strategy. He gets Christians to become so preoccupied with their failures, from then on, the battle is won. For if we let it, our past can hold us back from going forwards in our walk with God. Or maybe it's not so much being preoccupied with our failures as just being plain grumpy. Maybe we feel a bit like Victor Meldrew in One Foot in the Grave, who's not renowned for his patience, and it's a brilliant picture. And in Britain, we can get fairly grumpy about the weather. And apparently, the most miserable day of the most depressing month of the year is tomorrow. Just to encourage you, 24th of January, psychologist Dr. Cliff Arnold from Cardiff University blamed miserable weather, mounting debt, the length of time since Christmas, and failed New Year's resolutions for this being the worst day of the year. So enjoy. But if you, but if you are a Christian, 
our primary attitude is not the one of focusing on our failures or of being grumpy. Rather, it is one of being thankful, of living with a profound sense of joy. Why? Because God does not leave us as we are. He does not give up on us. The promise we find in the Bible is that from first to last, God will finish the work he began in you. And that means whatever our circumstances, good or bad, we can live with a profound sense of joy. William Barclay writes, We are chosen for joy. However hard the Christian way, it is both in the travelling and in the goal, the way of joy. So let me begin Philippians chapter 1 and verses 3 to 6. And you'll find it on page number 1178 of the Pew Bibles. Before we do that, let's come to God, let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would help us to understand and obey your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Right at the start, we see that Paul writes this letter with joy. And the key verse of this section, which sums up why Paul could write with such joy, is verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so we find here three reasons why every single Christian is able to rejoice. Firstly, we are to rejoice in what God has done. Verses 3 and 4. Now there are two things to notice about the work that God has done in a Christian's life. Firstly, it is a personal work. If someone was to ask me the question, why are you a Christian? I wonder what we would say. What is the first thing that comes to our minds? Well, that's the question John Stott seeks to answer in one of his books. It's a book entitled, Why I Am a Christian. And here's what John Stott said. The ultimate reason he gives for why he is a Christian is due to what he describes as the hound of heaven, Jesus Christ. He writes, It is due to Jesus Christ himself, who pursued me relentlessly, even when I was running away from him in order to go my own way. And if it were not for the gracious pursuits of the hound of heaven, I would today be on the scrap heap of wasted and discarded lives. For John Stott, it was a personal encounter with Jesus Christ that transformed his whole life. And that's what Paul highlights here. In verses 3 and 4, we see that Paul is writing to people in a church from all different backgrounds, like Charlotte Chapel, who had each personally encountered Jesus Christ. And so Paul could write confidently, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. When I was 18 years old, I thought I would go and see the world. I was going to be the next Michael Palin. 
And so I went to Australia, and I went hitchhiking across Nullarbor Desert. And it's all a good experience for being an assistant pastor. And something I really enjoyed doing was camping out at Ayers Rock in the middle of the Australian desert. Looking up at the sky at night and seeing the millions of stars. And it was an amazing sight. And just last week, our minds were baffled once again by the sheer awesomeness of the universe. The Huygens spacecraft sent us back some pictures of Titan, Saturn's moon, 800 million miles away. Now it took seven years to get there, but that's nothing. Apparently, our nearest star is about 24 trillion miles from the Earth. And you can see I've spoken to Emma Taylor since last Sunday night. And it can make us feel so small in this big universe. But think about it. If you're a Christian, the one who created this universe, the one who spoke it into existence, it is this same unchanging God who has begun a good work in you. And not only is it a personal work, it is also a purposeful work. Paul begins verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you. The Greek word used here for began, in anthomai, it means to inaugurate. The tense Paul uses points to a decisive and deliberate act. This was something planned to perfection. Take the example of Lydia. Read about Lydia in Acts chapter 16. Lydia became a Christian in Philippi during Paul's second missionary journey. What was her occupation? She was a businesswoman, a bit like uh, Anita Roddick of her day. And she came from a place called Thyatara, a place famous for its dyes. And that's what she did. She was a dealer in purple cloth. And no doubt if you asked her, she would have her own ambitions and goals for her career. She knew what she wanted to achieve in life. But then one day, Lydia's life was transformed. More than she even knew at that time. One day she heard about God's son, Jesus Christ, and how he had died on the cross for her sins and rose again. And she decided to put her trust in Jesus Christ. And from her own perspective, that is exactly what she did. She made a choice to worship Jesus as her Lord and Saviour. On Sunday the 20th of February, we hope to have a baptism service in this church. And a major part of what happens in a baptism service is that the people being baptised are declaring to the world precisely the same thing. They have chosen to turn their back on what they know to be wrong. And instead, they have chosen to live for God and put Him first in their lives. And if you're thinking about baptism, there's still some time to put your name down. And that is absolutely right, but it's not the whole story. Look at what the Bible says about how Lydia actually became a Christian. Read in Acts chapter 16, verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. You see, ultimately, it is a divine work. It is an act of God's grace. Yes, we have a choice to make, and we are fully responsible in life for the choices that we make. But supremely, as verse 6 says, it is God who began in Archimai this good work in us. It is a purposeful work. God takes the most unlikely subjects, the rich and the poor alike, and he writes his law on their hearts. Alec Botir writes in the study of Philippians, No other agent is at work, but he alone. 
And what he does covers the beginning, the continuation, and the completion of Christian experience. Now, this does raise the whole question of the Calvinist and the Armenian debates. Unfortunately, I don't have time to discuss that any further. If you want to discuss it further, see me after the service. I don't look forward to that. So, we rejoice in what God has done. But it doesn't end there. We also rejoice in what God is doing, in verse 5. Firstly, we rejoice in what God is doing because it is a progressive work. People often like to think that in some way the human race is making progress. That we are learning from our mistakes and becoming more sophisticated. Well, let me shatter that idea. Take last week for an example. Last week in South Korea, they held an ice diving competition. So what happens at an ice diving competition, you may ask? Let me tell you. What they do is they cut a hole in the frozen Injun River in Yeonchun, and then 50 intelligent people jump through it. Sky News reported, the annual event attracts the bravest competitors time after time. I think it should have said the craziest competitors time after time. So what do you think about having a similar event here at Charlotte Chapel? It can even be a test for the election of the new elders. I think that's a great idea. All those in favour? However, for a Christian, making real progress is an essential part of our salvation. That means there is no standing still in the Christian life. We're not to be like the luxury P&O cruise liner which broke down on the 9th of January. Instead of enjoying tropical islands, holidaymakers were stuck in Southampton. Imagine. You see, when we rejoice in what God has done, we rejoice in Christ's work for us, which has to do with justification. That is, God sees us as righteous in Christ. When we rejoice in what God is doing, we rejoice in the Holy Spirit's work in us. And that is sanctification. It's becoming more and more Christ-like. As George Mitchell writes, the Christian believer's aim should synchronise with God's perfection. There will always be a disparity between intention and achievement. Christians are sometimes warned against perfectionist tendencies. A far more pernicious threat to Christian living is that we settle for sin, failure, and what is second best, which is unworthy of a great God who is preparing us for heaven and who has provided us with tremendous resources for Christian living. So what is our part in this whole process? As we heard last Sunday, Paul tells the Philippians to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Our part is to respond to what God is doing in our lives. Starting on Monday, the 21st of February, at 7.30pm, we are launching a new course at this church called Discipleship Explored. In over nine weeks, we will go through the book of Philippians together, and you will be experts in the Philippines at the end of the year. And the course is designed primarily for new Christians who want to go forward and progress in their walk with God. And so on this course, we will be looking at why it is so important to spend time with God in prayer, reading the Bible, and serving in some way in a local church. We'll tell you more about this course and how you can be involved in the next few weeks. And secondly, we rejoice in what God is doing because it is a perceptible work. Paul wants the Christians at Philippi to have an assurance of their position in Christ. 
He wants them to rejoice in God's work in their lives. Why? Because it is a personal work. It is a purposeful work. And it is a progressive work. But he wants them to know something else as well. The work of God in a Christian's life is visible. People can see it. It is a perceptible work. On Thursday, George W. Bush was inaugurated as the President of the United States for another four-year term. And he was watched by millions of people all over the world as he declared that he was eager and ready for the next four years. And up to 500,000 people were actually there to see this inauguration outside the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. itself. And so were 6,000 police and 7,000 military personnel. It was a highly visible security presence. And that's what the work of God is like in someone's life. People can see it. There is evidence of that work. As the Apostle John writes in 1 John 2 verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. And that means if we are Christians, people should notice something different about us. That doesn't mean being weird. If you look at verse 5 of Philippians chapter 1, the way that God's work showed itself in the church at Philippi was through their partnership in the gospel. Now the term partnership is commonly translated as fellowship in the New Testament. So what exactly does this word mean? Don Carson points out in his excellent book, Basics for Believers, that today, fellowship has come to mean something like warm friendship with believers. If you go and have a coffee at a Christian's home, or in my case, a glass of water, or a bottle, then people say, it's quite strange enough, then people say that you have enjoyed some fellowship. But Don Carson explains, that is not how the word was primarily understood in the first century, in Paul's day. In the first century world, the word fellowship had strong commercial overtones. True fellowship had to do with sharing a vision. For example, if John and Harry buy a boat and start a fishing business, they have entered into a fellowship, a partnership. Therefore, Don Carson writes, Christian fellowship then is self-sacrifice and conformity to the gospel. There may be overtones of warmth and intimacy, but the heart of the matter is this, is this shared vision of what is of transcendental importance, a vision that calls forth our commitment. And that is how we demonstrate that God is working in our lives. We share a common vision to advance the gospel. We work in partnership to transform our world for Jesus Christ. So how do we apply the church situation here in Edinburgh? Well, we can pray individually and also corporately as a church. And we can witness wherever God has placed us. For example, we can bring our friends, neighbours and colleagues to a guest service held here at this church every third Sunday evening. David Watson describes well the importance of evangelism for every Christian. This is what he says. Compared with evangelism, everything else happening in the church is like rearranging the furniture when the house is on fire. Show you this quote. And we can disciple new Christians. For example, you might want to get involved in some way with the Discipleship Explored course. And we can give financially to the work of the church as we share in this vision to transform our world for Christ. And we can encourage 
If we meet someone new at church, or someone new joins our fellowship group, we can go and speak to them. Or we can invite them over for lunch. At Saddleback Church in California, they have what they call a three-minute rule. For the first three minutes after a service, you must go and speak to a stranger. That's a great idea. Frank Thielman writes in the NIV application commentary, Paul thanks God for the Philippines' partnership in the gospel. Not only because of the practical assistance it provided for the advancement of the gospel, but also because it stands as a confirmation that God is at work in the lives of the Philippians. And so the question that we can all ask ourselves is, am I a partner in the work of the gospel here at Charlotte Chapel? Am I seeking to transform my world for Jesus Christ? So we rejoice in what God has done and in what God is doing. But there's a final stage. We rejoice in what God will do. Verse 6. God's work in us is a perfect work. Paul concludes verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let me give you two contrasting thoughts about the future. The first is from H.G. Wells, the famous British author. This is what H.G. Wells said about his life. The time has come for me to reorganise my life, my peace. I cry out. I cannot adjust my life to secure any fruitful peace. Here I am at 64, still seeking peace. It is a hopeless dream. He has no hope. The second is from Corrie Ten Boom. Now her story is told in the book The Hiding Place, and you may have read this book. And during the Second World War, she was sent to the infamous Ravensbrück concentration camp. And life in the camp was horrendous. Now this is what Corrie said. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to unknown God. A Christian has a certain hope. Why? Because God will perfectly complete the work he began in them. For the sake of his name, as read in Ezekiel chapter 20, God will never let his people go. And as the Israel of God, the true inheritors of Ezekiel's promises, we can be certain that God will go on perfecting us. He does not give up on us. Corey knew that. Every experience that we go through has a purpose. And God takes that experience, good news and bad news, difficulty and blessing, and he uses that to perfect his work in us. Sinclair Ferguson comments, From one point of view, we may seem to have a long, long way to go in growing in grace and holiness. But from another point of view, the major part of the work has been done. The Philippians were already Christ's. Now God was completing his great work. The outcome is guaranteed. God is working to schedule. And the day of Jesus Christ is fixed in the Father's diary. One day Christ will return to this earth. Not as a baby born in Bethlehem, but as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left, we caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. 
And when that day comes, our salvation will be brought to perfect completion. That is our glorification. We will be equipped to spend eternity in heaven in the presence of God. As a hymn writer could pen, The work which his goodness began, The arm of his strength will complete, His promise is yea and amen, And never was forfeited yet. Yes, I to the end shall endure, As sure as the earnest is given, More blessed, but not more secure, The glorified spirits in heaven. And that is why we can rejoice. God is faithful. When God starts a good work, He will finish it. He will bring it to perfect completion. We started this morning by thinking about Ellen MacArthur. Ellen is still on track to beat the current record for sailing solo around the world. But the question does remain, will Ellen MacArthur actually finish what she started? Now the truth is, we don't know yet. It is still uncertain. Ellen must arrive back in Britain on the 9th of February at 4 minutes past 7 in the the morning to break the world record. And I hope she does it. But it's not certain. However, there is something we can be absolutely certain of, beyond any doubt whatsoever. From first to last, God will finish the work he began in you. That is guaranteed. And that is why we can rejoice. Let's pray.